I'm Greg Dalton, and this is a special Climate One program on the California governor's race. For 15 years, Governors Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jerry Brown charted a steady bipartisan course as climate leaders. They supported international agreements and signed legislation promoting clean energy and electric transportation. During that time, the effects of climate disruption have become increasingly clear. Rising seas are causing coastal flooding and erosion. Wildfires are becoming more common and devastating. And heat records are being shattered. 106 degrees in San Francisco last September. California has also endured a historic drought, and scientists say warm and dry years are becoming more frequent. The next governor will need to upgrade the state's vast water system to deal with dry and uncertain times. That means navigating a complex puzzle of tunnels, dams, and bonds. California has more than enough money in its state budget. We do not need new taxes. We do not need new bond measures. What we need to do is spend the money that we already have, but spend it the way that we're supposed to. One of the things that I do like about at least one of the bonds that's being proposed is a focus on the conditions that exist in California, uh, particularly as it relates to basic needs that are not being served for a million plus citizens in the state of California. We need to clean up our aquifers. We need to recycle. We need to recapture our stormwater runoff. We need to keep our deals and do those two dams that we agreed to. We need to do all of that prefatory to a grand bargain. That was Republican Travis Allen and Democrats Gavin Newsom and Antonio Villaraigosa. They're three of the leading candidates vying for the top two spots in the June 5th primary. I sat down with them separately to talk about their plans to maintain the flow of water and energy that sustains our economy and lifestyle. We also invited Republican John Cox and Democrat John Chung. Both didn't respond to multiple invitations. Travis Allen is a California assemblyman representing Huntington Beach. His campaign website describes him as the only true conservative. I asked him how he would manage water in a state that is seeing a pattern of droughts and floods. You know, very simply, we need to complete the California State Water Project. Uh, This means that we're not going to steal the water from the north. We're not going to drain the delta. Those delta tunnels will never get built. But we need to build new water storage up and down the state of California. So when it rains, we can finally store our water. A lot of Californians don't know, but urban usage only accounts for 10% of the total water use in California. Agricultural use is 40%. The other 50% flows out into the Pacific Ocean. Jerry Brown and the California Democrats have actually been depriving Californians of water for years. We're the most most water-conscious state in the nation, but yet the majority of our water is being wasted every single year. We need to store it when it rains and finally give Californians enough water. So does that mean more dams, more above-water storage, or would you store it underground? How would you do that? Absolutely. You know, all of the above. Above ground, below ground, we'll do desalination in San Diego and Huntington Beach. But yeah, we absolutely need more ways to store our water when it rains. And what this means is it means that all of these projects that the California Water Commission have said don't pencil out and shouldn't be built, all of those need to be green lighted. So Temperance Flats, Sites Reservoir, Raising Shasta Dam, Los Vaqueros, and the list goes on. Where you are from, uh, Orange County has been a pioneer in recycling water. Uh, They recycle a lot of water there. Uh, Is that something that should be done more around the state? 
you know, as local districts want to do it, I think it's a great idea. It's worked out very well for Orange County. Um, they have a, uh, a colloquial name for it, which is toilet to tap. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, the, the reality is they're recycling water. Uh, they, they put it through tons of filtration and, you know, the water ends up as clean as can be. Uh, and then they, they put it back in the ground where then it eventually you will know, percolate up uh, for much later usage. And it's a very innovative program, uh, and it works extremely well. This will work in certain areas, uh, and the water districts that you know want to make these expenditures are, are free to make them. But these are not the sorts of things that we need to mandate at the state level. The state's function really is completing the California State Water Project, which which really means you know the heavy lifts of building that new water storage that have been stalled for so long uh, in the California court system and on the drawing boards. You've been a critic of the way that Proposition 1 bond money has been spent. That was a bond uh, a few years ago. How do you think that money should be spent? And do you support the $13 billion in new bonds on the state ballot this year? Well, first, uh, for the water bond, it was a $7 billion bond. $2.7 billion of that was supposed to go to new water storage. I absolutely, and I voted for it, I absolutely think that that money should be spent exactly as the voters intended, which is to build new water storage in the state of California. Unfortunately, the bond was passed in 2014, and not one penny was used by Jerry Brown and the California Democrats to build any new water storage anywhere in the state of California. And this is the crime. I mean, think about this. From 2014 to 2017, we had one of the worst droughts on on record. Californians were told by Jerry Brown to kill your front lawn, turn off the tap when you're brushing your teeth, take a shorter shower. You know, if you see your neighbor washing his car on a Sunday afternoon, call the water company and get him fined. Literally, this is what he was saying. And, And while he was doing this, he passes this water bond, which the voters of California approved. Yet Jerry Brown and the California Democrats did absolutely nothing absolutely nothing to increase our water storage in California. And when the rains finally came in 2017, it burst Oroville Dam, 188,000 Californians had to be evacuated, and every single drop of water that every Californian saved between 2014 and 2017 washed out under the Golden Gate Bridge, not one time over, over 10 times over. This sort of waste is unconscionable. It is, you know, it's, it's an insult to every... California that we would waste our resources like this. The answer is that we absolutely should use uh, the water bond for what it was intended to, which is to build today new water storage. And this means greenlighting sites reservoir, temperance flats, raising Shasta Dam, Los Vaqueros and others, and fully funding them so we can truly get them built right now. And as it relates to new bonds, no, we don't need to pass any new bonds right now. Look, when Jerry Brown was first elected governor in 2014, or excuse me, uh, for the second time around in 2010, the state's general fund was $86 billion. Today, it's over $138 billion. The question is, is where did the extra $50 billion plus go? It absolutely did not go to our water infrastructure. And this is the problem. California has more than enough money in its state budget. We do not need new taxes. We do not need new bond measures. What we need to do is spend the money that we already have but spend it the way that we were supposed to, which is by completing the California State Water Project and finishing infrastructure projects in California that benefit all Californians. Other infrastructure spending, uh, the state legislature passed a gas tax. You want to repeal that tax. The roads are crumbling. How can you fix the roads without any new tax revenue? So Jerry Brown lied to the California people when he was elected in 2010. He made a very simple promise of no new taxes without voter approval. But that's exactly what he just did when he passed the largest ever gas 
gas tax increase and vehicle registration increase in California's history. He actually had to bribe four legislators a billion dollars to get the votes to pass this. And, and this was an absolute crime. No Californians were ever consulted. This gas tax is a $52 billion special interest payday that is saddled directly on the backs of the hardest working Californians and the poorest Californians. You know, think about this. This is about the single mother in the East Bay that has to commute an hour each way back and forth to work. This $2.50 that she's got to spend every time she fills up her tank and the extra car registration every year of up to $175, that is food that doesn't go onto her table, that are clothes that are, that are not, not being purchased for her children. These are the people that it hurts the very most. And, you know, it goes further than this because less than 35% of this money will ever be able to be used on, uh, uh, you know, transportation, actual building roads in California. Of that money, not a penny can be used for any new general purpose freeway lanes in the state. And the rest of the money can only be spent on bike lanes, bus lanes, and toll lanes. And of course, as you would imagine, uh, uh, trains, which is why in my very first budget, I've already already, uh, promised to entirely defund the California high-speed rail and return the money back to the taxpayers. The answer is California has the second worst roads in the nation and the worst traffic in the country. We do not need new taxes to fix our roads and expand our freeways. The money is already there in California's budget. We simply need to spend our existing money better. I interviewed Governor Rick Perry when he was governor of Texas. He was in California uh, trumpeting how much wind energy he got installed in Texas. Texas is a leader in wind energy. California, some people would like to see it at 100 percent renewable power. What's your view on renewable energy in California? Look, renewable energy is great. You know, we should be getting energy from every every available source. And, you know, there's there's a lot of great sources out there. But this is something that we can figure out in the private market. We don't need to mandate how much renewable energy the California grid is using. What this has caused is not only stress on the grid in terms of you know, power availability, it has dramatically uh, raised cost of utilities for every single Californian, and it's set to raise them yet even further. This is the problem coming out of Sacramento. It's this sort of top-down elitist mentality where the California Democrats believe they know what's best for the rest of the state. So when they force these mandates of renewable electricity onto our onto our grid, what it's really doing is it's increasing the cost for every single Californian. And it is completely regressive, which means that it hurts the poorest Californians the very most. So Absolutely love renewable energy. It's got a great place. This should not be subsidized or mandated by the state. It should be able to compete on its own as part of our energy, um, uh, all of our sources of energy. And we should not allow these statewide renewable uh, mandates that have been set by Jerry Brown and others to increase the cost of our utility bills every single month for the hardest working Californians. And forests are part of our natural resource heritage in California. The cost of fighting all the fires has gone up dramatically. How would you manage these increasingly year-round fire seasons that we're having north and south across the state? Absolutely. Look, this is a man-made problem, again, entirely laid at the feet of the California Democrats. The north of the state has an incre- or had an incredible timber industry. It was an extremely wealthy area. We can keep healthy forests that are sustainable for generations after generations if we simply allow people to use our own natural resources for our benefit. And let me explain what I mean. When you give private industry the ability to have a timber industry, 
what we can do is not only can we thin the forest, so when we get these devastating wildfires, they are lesser in impact, meaning they burn at lower temperatures and they burn out much quicker because we don't have all of this dense undergrowth that can never be cleared away. We are also protecting the Californians that live near these areas that are at risk of having their homes burned down. We also are able to, you know, stop importing wood and all of the other supplies that we're bringing in from Canada because we have all of our own resources to use. But most importantly, more important than all of these things, is that timber and our forests are a renewable resource. They are ours. They belong to every single Californian. And there is absolutely no reason that we should be allowing the extreme environmentalists and the California Democrat Party to tell the people of California that, they, that we cannot use our own natural resources. When I'm the next governor of the state of California, I will ensure that we are using our own water. We are using our own timber. We are able once again to do mining and gold country. We're going to flood the Central Valley so we finally have an extremely vibrant agricultural sector and we unlock the true potential of what the Central Valley can produce. And yes, we'll be energy independent and we will allow the extraction of oil and gas in California cleanly, safely, environmentally friendly, but for the benefit of every single Californian. And how will you work with the Trump administration in uh, in Washington, D.C.? A lot depends on how the feds and California get along. Sometimes they're aligned, sometimes they're at odds. How much of the Trump administration would you embrace? Would you do anything differently than what Trump has outlined? I think Donald Trump is doing a phenomenal job across the country. Uh, you know, I think that you take a look first at his tax uh, cut that we did just last year. Eight trillion dollars of new new wealth created across the country. Lowest unemployment on record for African Americans. Lowest unemployment on record for Latinos. Lowest overall unemployment since 2000. Lowest jobless claims since the year I was born in 1973. I mean, think about this. Think what this actually means. This means food on the table for. Uh, the United States, everybody, for all of our families, including our poorest among us, this is good in the world. These these tax cuts benefited everybody, whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, or just cared about football and had no use for politics. It's the same story in California. That's the sort of forward thinking we need in California. You may have heard I, I have a five-point plan for our state, and I'm the only candidate in the governor's race that actually has a plan for California. Cut taxes starting with repeal of the gas tax. Fix our roads, expand our freeways with no new taxpayer dollars. Get tough on crime and repeal the soft on crime laws of the California Democrats. Fix our broken education system and complete the California State Water Project. And as you see the common thread in there, what you see is this is empowerment of the people of California to actually use our own natural resources and spend our money as opposed to having it being wasted, you know, year after year by the Democrats who have had uninterrupted power in the legislature for decades now. And as it relates to you know our environment and the Trump administration, I think Trump has made incredible strides in allowing the people of the United States to actually use their own natural resources. There's been a lot of hysteria on the part of the extreme environmentalists, and I think it's been entirely unfounded. What we are looking at is we are the most technologically advanced nation in the world. We have the ability to use our natural resources for our own benefit, cleanly, safely, environmentally friendly. But these are our resources. There's no reason that we should be sending our money to other states and other countries when we have all of our resources ourselves, and we can do it better than anybody else can. 
Uh, a Republican who's mayor of San Diego near you, Kevin Faulkner, has a, a climate plan. Some of the elders of the Republican Party, uh, James Baker, Hank Paulson, George Schultz, have proposed you know, pricing carbon pollution. Uh, what's your view on climate change and, and how to respond to it? You know, it, it's it's so so uh, it's such a good topic that you bring it up, and I love how you brought it up because first, you know, the question starts out with climate change and is it man-made, and secondly, then it goes directly into the taxation element and how much should we charge the people of California to use their own natural resources. So this is the sort of backward thinking that Jerry Brown has been crafting for years now in the California legislature. And let's be very clear, Arnold Schwarzenegger was no better on this. Arnold Schwarzenegger was the one that gave us AB 32. The first thing to say is that whether or not climate change is man-made or not is something that will be settled by science, and it is far from being settled. All of the estimates that we have and the models that we have are just that. They're estimates and they're models. And they have, there, there is a lot of room clearly for disagreement. And when we talk about science, remember, science is not saying that theories are proven fact. Science is about finding out when these facts are actually proven. And we're still very much in the process of that. So then it really asks the next question, which is, well, you know, if, if or if, uh, you know, if climate change is man-made or if it is not, is the right answer increasing taxes on Californians? And the answer is absolutely not. Look, something that is settled science is you can ask any expert if California was to go to zero emissions next year, would it change global temperatures? And the answer is it would not even change them by one-tenth of one percent. We could go to zero emissions in our state, and it would not change our, our carbon emissions or our, our global temperatures one bit around the world. But what it would do is it would increase costs for every single Californian. It would force our companies and our businesses out to other states and to other countries. And that's exactly what's been happening. So using the false narrative that somehow tax increases will benefit our environment, Jerry Brown and the California Democrats have been able to extract ever greater amounts of money out of California businesses and California taxpayers' pockets. This is something that must be stopped. It must be reversed. I was one of the biggest opponents against Jerry Brown's cap-and-trade extension, and I look forward to the day when we get to put AB 32 back on the ballot for the people of California to reverse, because very clearly, if California was to go to zero emissions tomorrow, it will not change global temperatures even one bit. But by California keeping schemes in place like the cap-and-trade tax plan of Jerry Brown and the California Democrats, it's going to cost Californians a lot of money. And these costs, unfortunately, get borne by those that are least able to afford it because they're completely regressive, meaning they hurt the poorest Californians the very most. Great. Well, Travis Allen, thanks for coming on Climate One. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. And if I could just add one last thing to our interview, which is this. There is a myth out there that certain Californians value the environment more than others. And this is a complete myth. Every single Californian loves the environment. Every single Californian loves clean air, clean water. They want to live in the cleanest state possible. What we need to understand is that we can have an incredible environment and we can also have Californians that are able to use their own natural resources, healthy cities, healthy families, and, and, and a healthy ecosystem onshore and offshore around our entire state. We don't need to be using climate as a lever to extract more tax dollars out of California. Instead, what we need to be doing is employing sensible practices where we can use our own natural resources and we can make sure that we have the cleanest environment possible for the benefit of every single Californian. 
If you're just joining us, this is a special Climate One program on the California governor's race. I'm Greg Dalton. We just heard from Assemblyman Travis Allen, a Republican from Huntington Beach. Republican John Cox, who was recently endorsed by President Trump, didn't respond to several interview requests. Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom was active on energy issues in his seven years as San Francisco mayor. He says on his first day as governor, he would commit California to 100% renewable energy. I asked him if that is affordable, desirable, and achievable. Or even necessary, because I imagine Governor Brown will establish that benchmark before he leaves. I mean, okay. We're already at 50% renewable goal by 2030, but I think it is achievable. You've got to be audacious. Uh, <laughs> we were at 56.7% uh, renewables on March 23rd last year. I mean, the fact is, uh, in certain days of the year, we actually have reached uh, some pretty extraordinary goals that, frankly, even a couple of years ago, folks didn't think were possible. So I think it is achievable. Some people might say California produces too much solar energy. We have to export it to nearby states. It's such a it's an interesting challenge. Of course, solar has all these other interesting challenges. I was just down in the Salton Sea, and we're talking about the geothermal capacity down there. And of course, geothermal is being impacted uh, from a cost perspective because of the uh, lowered costs of solar. And so it is interesting uh, as solar is really eating into this entire renewable universe in ways that many had predicted, uh, but we're all now really experiencing. And it's an extraordinary testament to staying the course, innovation, and policy being an accelerator to not only create jobs, but to actually um, create a framework of audacity uh, that is now replicable across the rest of the country, and for that matter, around the rest of the world. So California needs to maintain that leadership. Water is an issue that often isn't talked about on the campaign trail unless there's a drought. Uh, we're now in a period, climate scientists say, we're kind of whiplash between droughts and floods, droughts and floods. How would you manage a state water system that affords more flexibility than the way we used to get predictable rain and snow. Yeah, now, especially with these atmospheric rivers. And so the question of capturing, particularly stormwater runoff, I think that's the greatest low-hanging fruit. We talk about dams in the traditional sense, looking sort of the 20th century framework of that. Uh, but capturing water, particularly as it relates to the water going out to the sea, I think is an extraordinary opportunity. I know in L.A. they're trying to lead with some new projects down there. We need to accelerate that, invest heavily in that. Uh, groundwater replenishment, wastewater recycling, conjunctive use as it relates to our existing infrastructure particularly with our above-ground storage facilities. Uh, but no, we clearly have to modernize that system. In many respects, we've leaned into that direction, the $7.5 billion bond. But more broadly, to focus on uh, water recycling, um, uh, wastewater, uh, and other innovative strategies that are also part of that bond uh, that haven't, frankly, gotten as much attention as I think they deserve and as much attention, frankly, as the governor and the legislature deserve in terms of advancing them. So do you think that there are more storage, more dams? Some people want to tear down the dams and uh, let the fish have a free reign. Yeah, I mean, I'm not ideological about it. Uh, I get the arguments. Um, you know, people believe, you know, you can do, um, we'd do better to do groundwater replenishment. We'd do better uh, to create storage opportunities in a, in a more modern way. Uh, but again, I, I think the voters uh, opined the $7.5 billion was a compromise, was a package. Uh, we went with goodwill and trust uh, to the voters. We've got the water board that's going to score the things anew. Uh, and uh, I'm not necessarily going to try to get in the way of that. That said, look, I'm for regionalized solutions. Uh, I'm for, uh, you know, replicating the great work that's been done in Orange County on toilet to tap technologies. I am not ideologically opposed to desalinization, particularly brackish desal. 
clearly uh, looking at recycling, looking at efficiency has to be part of it. New innovations, particularly as it relates to ag, uh, we have to constantly push the envelope there. You mentioned the $7 billion bond. There's another $13 billion in bonds on the ballots this year, $4 billion in June, uh, $9 billion in November. Do voters have the appetite for $13 billion in more water bonds? It's an open-ended question, and it hasn't been organized with the kind of broad support that we saw with that $7.5 billion bond. So it is an open-ended question. Look, one of the things that I do like about at least one of the bonds that's being proposed is a focus on the conditions that exist in California, uh, particularly as it relates to uh, basic needs uh, that are not being served for a million plus citizens in the state of California. And lead contaminated water in Oakland. In contaminated water in Oakland. It's rather jaw dropping that, you know, this, the richest state that it doesn't get more attention, uh, these conditions. And when you travel the state and you see them, you just, your jaw drops that how is this possible? Uh, those weren't substantively uh, addressed in the previous efforts and incarnations. So uh, if these fall short, I think we're going to have to repackage something, move it in the future, build a bigger constituency around that and uh, address that a little bit more uh, forthrightly. I know the legislature and the governor did it with uh, around the fees issue, which created some controversy and stress. Uh, that's a down payment. More broadly, we're going to have to address this. Tunnels and the train are two areas where you perhaps differ from the current governor. Mm. Um, where, where are you on, on the tunnels? They moved forward recently with a Southern California water district putting, what, $10 billion on the table, saying yeah. they can help pay for it. Yeah, are you no, enthusiastic about the tunnels? I'm not, you know, look, I, conveyance has to be addressed in the Delta. Uh, but I still, maybe I'm a little nostalgic pre-water fix for the the, the dual goals, uh, this notion that we were going to have a, a more aggressive conservation focus, a more aggressive focus on uh, environmental remediation, stewardship, uh, and the like. Uh, but the reality is the Delta is vulnerable. And if something happens, it happens on our watch. And so we've got to, no one can walk away uh, uh, from this. And I think the one tunnel uh, approach is a, a more realistic approach. I humbly submit in this context uh, that I'm concerned with the two tunnel approach, even with the $10.8 billion from uh, the Met. And then of course the renewed interest from in Santa Clara uh, that we may just end up in litigation and no project years and years of litigation. Um, and I think if we can find some consensus around uh, a, a more simpler conveyance that addresses the legitimate reverse flow issues uh, with the existing pumps, uh, that actually could advance our environmental uh, uh, goals in a much more forthright way. I would prefer to achieve that. The train did go before voters. It was supported. Are you enthusiastic about high-speed rail? Well, I'm enthusiastic about what we promoted and what we promised. I was one of the original co-sponsors and, and supporters of that effort, not co-sponsors, but co-chairs of that effort. Um, Northern Terminus was going to end at the Grand Central. But what I like, and long-windedly, I've been critical of some of the financing in the past, um, in the interim, that is, in the last few years. Frankly, I don't think we've been straight with folks as we should be on it. Uh, but I like the new leadership. I think Brian Kelly's done justice to the facts. He was much more transparent in this new proposal, the $77.3 billion uh, new estimate. He was very honest about the challenges of getting it uh, down to Southern California, particularly um, getting over the San Gabriel Mountains uh, uh, and the challenge of identifying resources for that. But the new phase now, Valley to Valley, I think uh, could be very advantageous for the state. Um, it certainly would significantly help the Central Valley, uh, and it would connect uh, from a transit perspective and a housing linkage and a jobs uh, linkage, uh, the fastest growing 
um, region, the Silicon Valley in the world, arguably, and one of the fastest growing parts of our state in a way that I think could do justice uh, to at least an aspect of the original vision. Uh, the open-ended question remains after we complete phase one is how do we finance without private sector support or federal government support outside the three and a half billion, uh, that second phase into Southern California, that is legitimately an open-ended question. And not much federal money looking in this administration. Had to, California had to fight to get Caltrain electrification. Yeah, that. even that was difficult for us. And there's no legitimate argument against that from an economic stimulus perspective. Uh, look, it's interesting. Some people just want to kill this thing. But if you're going to kill it, let's remember what you're, you're asking to do. You're not redirecting that $9.95 billion to water projects. I, I love hearing these guys talk like that. The voters prescribed that bond to be used for this purpose. You can't redirect that money. You have to go back in front of the voters for that money. Number two, you're going to give $3.5 billion back to Trump, Donald Trump. Uh, you already have 1,700 people working on this project. You already have uh, a number of big projects that are already complete. I did two town halls in Fresno around some of the infrastructure that's been improved there. And it's already having an impact on that community. But one of the benefits of more traditional industrial age fixed rail transit is the opportunity to zone and rezone in and around those corridors and create spokes on that wheel that really could create economic opportunities and a real economic stimulus in a part of the state that desperately needs it. Proposition 70 is on the ballot uh, in June. That would require a supermajority to allocate cap-and-trade funds uh, after 2024. Governor Brown and the Cal Chamber are supportive. Tom mm -hmm. Steyer and most environmentalists are yeah, against me, it. Yeah, me. I'm opposed. Look, I, but I get it. The governor made a deal, and he's kept his part of that bargain. And I respect that. And we always should respect that. Uh, that's what he committed in order to get that extension of cap-and-trade, which was a big victory, not just for Governor Brown, but for the state of California, the people of this country that will be beneficiaries because the extended cap and trade, uh, it does make the high speed rail question more challenging because it's predicated on being able to bond against future uh, proceeds under the cap and trade, which, of course, as you know, we get 25 percent of the resources from uh, for the high speed rail from the cap and trade program. Uh, but, um, you know, that's that was part of the deal. Um, but I'm with Steyer on this, uh, but I respect and by no means a critique of Governor Brown and the chamber. I respect uh, why uh, they're on one side. I guess the underlying issue is whether a cap and trade in California's climate policies ought to have bipartisan support. You know, there's a supermajority, not many Republic, any Republicans statewide. You know, does cap and trade and climate policy need Republicans on board? To well, be we got Republicans, which was amazing in terms of the extension. Yeah. So. Uh, look, we, we we did it in a bipartisan way. Um, and, uh, you know, the extent now of the bar is going to be raised even higher. It's unfortunate. Uh, I don't know that that's, you know, again, forgive me for being a little nostalgic to the Constitution. But, you know, representative democracy, uh, you know, those in leadership have the ability to, uh, you know, to advance principles and values and ideals. And uh, when we start coming up with these arbitrary three quarters, 70 percent, 62 point, I mean, all of a sudden we're gaming that system. And I don't know if that's particularly helpful. Trump administration is going after really one of the crown jewels of California environmental policy, the waiver under the Clean Air Act that allows California to have cleaner airs, more stringent regulations. That's been supported across Republican and Democratic administrations. Hmm. How big a concern and how would you defend that? I'm not that concerned concerned because I, I'm confident in our legal strategy. I'm confident in our resolve and commitment. And I'm confident in California's capacity to punch way above its weight. And I'm confident that the automobile manufacturers recognize in their quiet moments that the rest of the world, this train 
going back to the previous questions, left the station, meaning the world is radically changing the way it produces, consumes energy, and it's particularly looking tailpipe emissions uh, for that change. You're looking at places like India and China are talking about electrifying their vehicle fleets, uh, sort of moving way past, leaping ahead of this stale conversation around getting to 50 miles per gallon. Um, so it's not just our domestic automobile manufacturers are also selling around the rest of the world. California has actually been helping them uh, prepare for that market and opening those doors. Uh, those 12 other states, plus or minus, uh, in District of Columbia that have moved in our direction uh, have taken our lead. And I think that provides a formidable foil uh, in opposition to Scott Pruitt and his temporary status as an EPA director uh, and Donald Trump's temporary status as president of the United States. Do you think industry is doing enough to step up? There's been some comments, some op-eds here and there, but there's not a lot of strong industry voice saying, hey, we want California, we want one set of national No, the rules. industry is always a lagger. I mean, they've been a lagger, but they've been, the, ironically, the biggest beneficiary of California's leadership. We forced them to do the right thing, and been doing the right thing, it's made them competitive internationally. So, I, you know, this is the belly aching with all due respect you hear often every time there's change at scale, uh, especially on the environmental side of the ledger. And uh, we've heard them say you couldn't, they couldn't, I mean, I'm, my entire life I've heard they couldn't do this, couldn't do that. Every time we move forward, they achieve it. And they achieve it right. in a way where their profits go up and their uh, economic right. opportunities are expanded from a global perspective. Uh, I applaud President Obama's leadership on this a number of years back, and I applaud Governor Brown and, and our Attorney General Becerra's resolve to stand tall and firm and push back against this current effort to roll it back. Assemblymember uh, Phil Ting has a bill proposing to uh, phase out and ban the hmm. sale of gasoline cars. China, uh, India, France, and uh, UK have made similar uh, noises. Do you, do you support yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, I support the spirit of it. I don't know, if, you know, California. I mean, though we are a nation state, I understand the spirit is the sixth largest economy in, a, uh, in the spirit of the conversation we've been having. Uh, I appreciate what what, uh, what Phil is trying to achieve. Uh, I, I'm a little more cautious about that, candidly. Uh, as a bill, but as a principle, I appreciate where he's going because that's invariably where the industry is going. That said, prescribing the method concerns me a little bit more. Zero emissions broadly understand that spirit. Is it electric? Is it hydrogen? Um, new technologies that we haven't even conceived of. We're not just talking about mobility changing from autonomy perspective, but we also now have autonomy, not just cars, but flight Something big has happened to the plumbing of the world. Uh, we don't know what we don't know. And so we have to be cautious when we're setting these mandates. Fires have ravaged the state. They're connected to, to the hots and the dries you're talking about. Uh, a lot of money being spent uh, fighting these fires. Do we need to change where we live and how we live yeah. in that sort of in that beautiful interface with nature? Um, <laughs> it's the right question. Uh, I, I want to say no. Uh, but that's a lazy response. Of course, saying yes could be a lazy response as well. Um, you know, I've, I've toured both the, the major fires, um, the aftermaths. It's jaw-dropping in that, the damage that was done this year. Uh, there's no fire season. I think everyone accepts that. It's, it's a year-round challenge. And the costs are jaw-dropping. But what's self-evident is one thing. And the reason I begin with no is we're not doing a very good job at fire prevention, calling out the forest dealing with dead brush, dead trees, which is a huge issue in the state. Um, early warning systems, 
opt-out technology, not opt-in technology, uh, infrared systems that exist that we're not deploying as we should uh, to mitigate fires more aggressively. I'd rather use our National Guard to address some of those issues than, frankly, be down at the border doing Trump's work. Um, I just think there's ways we can mitigate the damage. We can't end the threat. Um, but I hesitate to create zones um, in Santa Rosa, as an example, uh, where we are not allowed to rebuild uh, because of the prospects of forest fires. I'd rather we learn some lessons uh, and preemptively mitigate the prospects moving in the future uh, as, as, a, as a first response as we more appropriately uh, look at land use more broadly as our population continues to grow. When those fires were happening, people were walking around downtown San Francisco with air masks. It was a big public health issue. You still support universal health care. One of your opponents says it's folly to support it without saying how you're going to pay for it. Well, that was what he would have been saying the same thing when I was mayor of San Francisco. Uh, when we didn't know how to pay for universal health care, and yet we did it. <laughs> we fully implemented it. It's just as short as 10th anniversary. So I, I love proving people wrong. One thing you're going to get when someone says they can't do something, they're usually right. But when someone's willing to be audacious and actually has a mindset and belief, a little bit of experience, believes something's possible, just may be. Um, and so I, I prefer our approach, which is a, a belief system that we can do more and better for the 3 million people that don't have health insurance, the 12 million people that are underinsured, uh, to address the major issue. This is a huge issue, the issue of the cost of premiums that are going to skyrocket in 2019 because of the individual mandate being eliminated and in the introduction of all these quote-unquote junk health player plans or skinny plans, which are going to change the mix of those that are old versus sick um, and healthy. And uh, we're projecting major increases in premiums next year. The real question I have to my opponents is, how are you going to pay for that? And so I think it's incumbent upon the next governor to reform the system, lean into it. We proved folks wrong when I was mayor. I can't wait to prove folks wrong as governor. I'm Greg Dalton, and this is a Climate One program with three of the candidates to be California's next governor. You just heard my conversation with Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom. Under California's open primary, the two candidates with the most votes in next Tuesday's election will advance to the runoff in November. Gavin Newsom is leading the polls with Republican John Cox and Democrat Antonio Villaraigosa in a tightening race for second. Villaraigosa established himself as an advocate for green cities when he was mayor of Los Angeles from 2005 to 2013. I asked him how he would continue or change the environmental and water policies of Governor Schwarzenegger and Brown. I don't know if you realize, but I was the author of the Carl Moyer Act, which was uh, the biggest effort to clean up the air since uh, the Clean Air Act until AB 32 and SB 32. And uh, while I was mayor of Los Angeles, uh, I, I said we'd make L.A. the cleanest, greenest big city in the country. And we went from 3% renewable. We had the dirtiest public utility in the United States. We went from 3% to 20% renewable in five years. We signed agreements to get completely off of coal. Number one American city in reducing carbon emissions. Number five in the world. Every single street lamp in L.A. is LED. Mm. Every traffic light is LED and synchronized. We built three light rail lines and one busway. So, uh, and a 23% reduction in um, water usage. So I'm focused on climate change, and I think the next governor is going to have to continue the path of leading the the nation and the world. Uh, But I also think 
that we've got to be more focused and strategic with respect to building a clean tech community, a clean tech uh, economy. Um, I want to leverage these standards for new green jobs, train people for those jobs. And then I think we also have to look at it's great to set standards, uh, but the governor's job is to make sure that the state is implementing those standards. So as you know, if, to get to 100% renewable, uh, as an example, uh, you're going to need storage uh, capacity, we're gonna, storage infrastructure. Uh, we're going to have to address that. Uh, because that we're not anywhere close uh, to that battery storage um, uh, specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, to make uh, renewables uh, from peak load powers, wind and solar, to base load powers. Uh, so those are some of the things we need to do with respect to... Uh, uh, but we're going to continue uh, a forward path and uh, a path that leads a nation in the world. One of the critiques of the Schwarzenegger and Brown approach has been, particularly cap and trade, has marginalized or not benefited some of the communities that are fence line communities closest to the dirtiest uh, sources of, of pollution, the environmental justice issue. What would you do to address that Central Valley and other communities you really care about? Look, I focused a lot on carbon emission reduction. I told you we reduced our carbon emissions by 28 percent, but I also cleaned up the port. Our effort to clean up the port was the most far-reaching in the world uh, because the port was a, a generator of emissions that uh, had a, the effect of, uh, in the communities around it, raising the, the uh, respiratory diseases, lung diseases, and the like. And I think, uh, as you said, the state's going to have to focus a lot more on diesel particulates, uh, socks and knocks. Uh, we're going to have to focus a lot more on environmental justice. You can't just be for somebody who drives a Tesla and not somebody who drives a Toyota pickup or ride a bus like my mo- mother did. And as an example, you know, the, the VW agreement that, mm-hmm. the, you know, they're doing all these charging stations. Well, not everybody has an electric vehicle. Uh, I think we need to make sure that money like that uh, gets spent addressing environmental justice issues as well. And a lot of lower-income people live near freeways. Um, Los Angeles spent $1.6 billion to expand the 405 freeway. One study recently said it's just it's more crowded now than it was before. Orange County is about to spend about $2 billion to widen freeways. Are more freeways the solution to our congestion? Absolutely not. And I was the guy that ex- uh, added a lane. We, we both ways on the 405, Mm -hmm. the most congested freeway in the United States. Uh, But uh, you're forgetting uh, that we I'm also the guy that built three light rail lines and one busway. So we were focused on public transit, focused on light rail and subways. But, you know, we it was so congested and we wanted to do an HOV lane. Originally, we had planned to do two in both directions. I also did a thing called congestion pricing. Both San Francisco and New York tried. Uh, they couldn't get the, the region behind it. I, w- with a lot of quivers in my back mm-hmm. as a result, was able to get the region behind it. So uh, one day, all of these HOV lanes will be, you know, f- high occupancy lanes, um, you know, 
with a fast track, if you will. You had an accident in 2010, a bicycle accident. I think a taxi cut in front of you uh, that turned you into a bicycle advocate. Uh, bicycling is growing, certainly uh, in San Francisco and other urban cities. Millennials like to bike to work. What would you do for bicyclists in California? Well, I did more bike lanes than, as I understand it, uh, all the mayors uh, put together before me. I did. Uh, we have a plan for 1,800 miles of bike lanes in Los Angeles, the car capital of the United States, uh, and the congestion capital. And I did it because, uh, look, uh, we, we can't keep on relying on an old paradigm where everybody's in a single-passenger automobile. Uh, we need more HOV. We need a lot more public transit. We need a um, transit-oriented development so people live, work, and play uh, next to a station. And we need bike lanes. And uh, that's uh, something I did. Is you're right after shattering my elbow in a in a bike accident. I had been cycling uh, for 30 years, but mm. uh, it was my third visit to the uh, emergency room, and I decided uh, I think uh, I need to get off the bike. So, uh, but as a result, it was the catalyst for moving ahead on bike lanes in LA. The gasoline tax is on the ballot, $52 billion, $0.12 cents a gallon. Um, some of your opponents think that's not a good idea. Will that money be well spent in California? Well, I support the gas tax. We hadn't uh, passed the gas tax in 25 years. Uh, the feds haven't raised the gas tax either. Um, I do believe that we need to put it in a lockbox. So there's initiative on the ballot to do that. Uh, I also think... Uh, that we've got to find efficiencies and uh, value engineer a lot of the infrastructure we do and streamline permitting and, and fix a broken uh, regulatory framework, CEQA, uh, the California Environmental Quality Act, that makes it so difficult to build and so expensive. So I think what you'll see uh, when I'm governor is that we're going to put it in a lockbox and, a, and, and really find ways to spend that money so that it, you stretch that dollar out. You know, one of the candidates in this race talks about the fact that um, Texas spends a lot less per, you know, gets a lot more per dollar. And I, I don't think we could be afraid. I'm a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. But I don't think we could be afraid of doing what we can to drive down costs uh, for infrastructure. I think we need to look at innovative public-private partnerships. I think we need to uh, innovative financing uh, in addition to the gas tax. One measure on the state ballot in June, Prop 70, requires a supermajority to allocate cap-and-trade funds in the future. Governor Brown and the California Chamber of Commerce support it. Tom Steyer and most environmentalists are against it. It's about working with Republicans and whether Republicans, you know, the, the Democrats have a lock in the legislature. Should some things have require supermajority or give Republicans a voice? Where are you on Prop 70? I want to give them a voice. I don't support uh, a supermajority. Uh, look, I don't like doing a lot by uh, initiative. I think the initiative process is broken in California. I'd much prefer the legislature and the governor working together, um, so uh, I don't support it. Where are some areas where you think Republicans and Democrats could work together in California? Oh, I think water is certainly an area. I mean, that's why it's important to keep our deals. I wasn't for above ground, th those two dams initially. I've come to realize that we need them 
in the Central Valley. But when I agreed to that, I agreed to that because we needed Republicans to get a water bond on the ballot and we needed to, to have that balance. And ever since then, as I said, you've seen uh, opposition to uh, building those dams. And I think we, we definitely can work together there. I think that we can work together on the issue of education. Um, this issue is a, is uh, the biggest challenge facing the innovation economy and facing a state where we're growing apart, where, you, you know, too many people are being left behind, even though they're checking all the boxes. So I think there are places where we can work together. The, the whole gravamen of my campaign is that, you know, the, the, we need to move away from the shouting, from the polarization, and try to work together again. And could you do that with the Trump administration? Where could you do that with the federal administration? Well, I, I'm going to start with Republicans in California. <laughs> I think uh, the Trump administration has gone so far off the flat earth that they believe in that uh, uh, they're, they've fallen off uh, the earth. Um, but, you know, I've said that different than some, I'm not going to text and tweet all day about Donald Trump and the Trump administration. We are going to charter our own path on the environment. We're going to lead the nation and the world. But uh, you'll see someone who's going to focus a lot more on clean tech and green jobs, a strategy to grow uh, and benefit from and uh, leverage what we're doing in terms of green standards. I think we're going to chart a different path on health care. You know, most of us believe health care is a right, not a privilege. And we're going to move to protect the two to five million people who could lose their health care, focus on prevention uh, and primary care. Uh, I think you'll see a different path on diversity and immigration. Uh, you know, so uh, we're, we should focus on the challenges facing us. Again, fifth largest economy in the world with the highest effective poverty rate. Let's take on poverty rate, a prison pipeline that's uh, broken, uh, redirect that prison pipeline to a pipeline of hope and opportunity. I think that's the best way to challenge the politics of Donald Trump. We've seen uh, years of alternating droughts and floods in this state, the worst drought in a thousand years, then a f uh, epic rains when the nation's tallest dam almost failed. How would you manage water in California in an era where we're going from droughts to floods and droughts to floods? I think we've got to recycle to a much greater degree. Look, uh, L.A. recycles about 3% of its water. Uh, I think the Bay Area is 4 percent of its water. Uh, Orange County recycles more than 40 percent of its water. Yeah. Israel recycles 80 percent. We have to recycle to a much greater degree. We have to continue to uh, conserve to a, uh, a greater degree. Uh, use technology to help uh, with conservation. I think we need uh, a lot more in the way of underground storage. Um, you know, we, we need to clean up our aquifers, store water underground. But in 1999, I think it was, I was Speaker of the Assembly, and we needed Republicans to get and farmers to get behind our water bond. Um, we got, we said, we agreed, rather, to two dams. Ever since then, we've been blocking and tackling and imposing those dams. So I, I, I do support sites and temperance, the two dams that we agreed to in the, in the late 1990s. 
because you also got to keep your deals. Why is it that this issue of water is so controversial? And, you know, as you know, some people have coined it the water wars. There's no trust. The North doesn't trust the South. The farmers don't trust enviros. The urban doesn't trust rural. And what I like to say to all of the people pointing fingers when people say, as an example, that the cities like the San Francisco and L.A. and the cities of the state have 80 percent of the population. They use 20 percent of the water. Uh, ag has 20 uh, percent of the population. They use 80 percent of the water. I said, well, that's not really uh, fair because I'm not great at math, but I know this. I asked the question, who's eating all those fruits and vegetables. And if the answer is we are, we're eating and drinking 100% of the water. So I think we need to do all of those things uh, prefatory. Obviously, we've got pre-1914 constitutional uh, rights. you got uh, riparian rights. All of these things are got to be in the mix. So we have to have an all-of-the-above strategy to drill down on this issue of uh, the water challenges and the water crisis we face. And the tunnels recently, uh, the Southern California Water District came forward with $11 billion for the $17 billion tunnels or tunnel. Where are you on? Well, Santa Clara also, also mm-hmm. uh, agreed to support it. I'm not there. I just laid out what we need to do first. We need to build trust. We need to clean up our aquifers. We need to recycle. We need to conserve to a greater degree. We need to recapture our stormwater runoff. We need to keep our deals and do those two dams that we agreed to. Um, and uh, we need to do all of that prefatory to a grand bargain. So do all that and tunnels, tunnels later. Should voters have a voice? If tunnel, that time comes for the tunnels, oh, should vote? Not tunnels later. I'm, I'm not for it right now. Yeah, and okay. I'm just not. But, you know, let's do all of that. And then let's figure out what else we need to do. Is ag doing it? I guess you already spoke to that. There's this tension between fish and people. It keeps coming up. You know, it sounds like um, those are co-equal goals in California, the environment and people. You know, how do you manage that, that fish and people tension? Well, some, remember, some of it is California-based rules and some of it are federal rules and court decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we, we have to have the balance. I mean, we have to address this water crisis, and I do think we need to balance for sure. Uh, but I think the people who put the food on our table are important, too. And, you know, they they get short shrift, um, frankly, because the power base in this state is not in the Central Valley. And I want to be a voice for them. And remember, of the 300 communities that have a clean water crisis, 150 of them are in the Central Valley. So, oh, Clean water is also got to be an important issue, and I, I think we're going to have to have strike a balance. The warmer and and hotter uh, temperatures, climate contributing to fires. Fires are you know big part now, growing part of the state budget. People north and south. How would you address the the fire situation in California? Well, it's a new paradigm for us, and I think we're going to. From what I understand, hearing from the experts, that uh, we're going to have to do a better job at forest management. Um, I think we're going to have to acknowledge that uh, uh, this is a permanent reality for us for the foreseeable future. And uh, we're going to have to uh, marshal the resources 
to address that, I think we have to look at where we're building, uh, you know, uh, building next to national forest and, you know, probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I think we're going to have to uh, figure out what we do around um, how we insure uh, and mm-hmm. saying to people that uh, you won't be able to get insurance if you're going to keep on building in a place where, you know, there's going to be a fire every few years. Um, but very definitely, we're going to have to put the resources uh, to address this because it's going to be a bigger, bigger issue going forward. That was Antonio Villaraigosa, former Los Angeles mayor. This is a Climate One program on the upcoming governor's race. Water hasn't been in the campaign headlines, but it's a major issue for California and our next governor. As chair of the state water board, Felicia Marcus has worked closely with Governor Jerry Brown to manage California's water system. I wanted to get her thoughts on what the next governor will face as a disrupted climate impacts the snow and rain that supplies our freshwater. Well, we're not technically in drought anymore, but I think uh, the the drought being that Godzilla of all wake-up calls about what could happen any year, any year can be the beginning of multiple dry years, and so uh, it was a sobering experience. So we're we're still below normal at best this year. We got a bit of a reprieve in March, but it's a combination of what we have in the reservoirs and what we have in our snowpack, and our snowpack is still only maybe a little more than a third of normal and melting fast. What does the next governor of California need to look for in terms of preparing the water system for this climate reality? Well, I think the next governor has a tremendous opportunity to really advance the ball on being prepared both for wetter wets and drier dries under climate change, which will exacerbate uh, even our Uh, our normal series of swings. And I think this governor has played an incredible leadership role, the the best I've seen in the 30 years that I've been looking at water, to move us off the thinking about water as a political chip to reward the expert publics uh, that help get you elected and really look ahead to what all Californians need. So with our water action plan, it's been an all-of-the-above approach rather than pick pick one, you know, from conservation, recycling, stormwater capture, uh, you know, ecological restoration ahead of the curve, dealing with the delta, dealing with storage, in particular groundwater storage. And I I think we've laid a foundation. I think we've moved the baton significantly down the field for the next governor, but there's an opportunity for the next governor, if they want to focus on getting something done, to really move it down the field on all of those issues uh, in a way that will benefit all Californians, as opposed to looking at water as a interest-based uh, political issue. So if you had a magic wand, what's one thing that you wish the next governor could do on water? I think, well, it's multiple. I think I, I've mentioned the data and I've mentioned the watershed and moving the baton. I really think the next governor can also pick up the baton on safe drinking water for all Californians. I, we have legislation pending now to have a, a very uh, modest subsidy for we have poor communities, hundreds of thousands of people uh, in uh, largely in rural areas, but not exclusively in rural areas, but really all over the state. I think keep your eye on that issue. It's it's not as many people as a lot of other issues, but it's the most important issue, I think, for us as Californians and who we are. I think it's of a piece of 
caring about the ecosystem and forcing people to figure out how to come together in all of the amazing ways you can to, for example, think about floodplain management, both for flood control and for uh, fish and trying to protect them. I mean, how do we reward those people who are doing projects on the ground where we have all the things that Californians need? They, they want a healthy ecosystem and a healthy environment. They want to have healthy agriculture and they want to have healthy communities. But that requires leadership and it requires a choice on the part of a governor that they want to roll up their sleeves and engage. Felicia Marcus, chair of the state water board on what California's next governor will face when they take office. I'm Greg Dalton. I spoke with three of the leading candidates for governor, Republican Travis Allen and Democrats Gavin Newsom and Antonio Villaraigosa. This Climate One program was underwritten by the Water Foundation, funded by the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation, Pisces Foundation, and the David and Lucille Packard Foundation. Climate One is a special project of the Commonwealth Club of California. Kelly Pennington directs our audience engagement. Carlos Manuel and Tyler Reed are the producers. The audio engineer is Mark Kirshner. Annie Chelsea and Devin Strolovich edit the show. The Commonwealth Club CEO is Dr. Gloria Duffy. Climate One is presented in association with KQED Public Radio.